You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. If you will, open up your Bibles to James chapter 4. If you don't have your own copy of Scripture with you this morning, it's page 1013 in the Pew Bible right in front of you. Page 1013, James chapter 4. You know, in life, there are really two types of people. There's procrastinators and there's planners. How many of you, let's just be honest this morning, how many of you guys are the procrastinating type? Show of hands. Yikes. Okay. Uh, how many of you guys are more of the planners? Kind of, okay, we're like 50-50 actually uh, today, which is good. What are you guys all talking about? What, what happened? <laughs> you're all talking to your friends. Oh, you're the planner. I'm the procrastinator. Okay. Stay with me. Stay with me. Okay. You know, the anthem of procrastinators is probably best summed up by author Gloria Pitzer when she wrote this. She said, procrastination is my sin. It brings me not but sorrow. I know I should stop it. In fact, I will tomorrow. (laughs) On the other hand, the anthem of the planners is probably best summed up by J.R.R. Tolkien when he wrote, it does not do to leave a live dragon out of your calculations if you live near one. In other words, you prepare for every scenario. You see, I find myself aligning more with Tolkien than I do Pitzer. I don't like surprises, and I don't like being thrown off guard. This is one of the many reasons why I am the classic overpacker. Before going on any trip, I try to consider every possible scenario to make sure I have everything I need. For example, if I need dressy clothes for one day of the trip, I'll pack two pair. You know, just in case I spill ketchup on the first pair. Or if I need enough clothes for like a total of two days, I'll pack enough for four days, just in case the sunny with the high of 75 weather they're calling for ends up being snow or rain. How many of you guys are with me? Say, I'm with you. See, the struggle's real. We get it. Us planners get it. I've gotten a little better, but I'm still a planner. Of course, there's positives and negatives to both extremes. For extreme planners being unprepared Excuse me, for extreme procrastinators, being unprepared can get you into lots of trouble. However, at the same time, you're much more likely to be the type of person who's flexible and able to adapt easily to changes in situations. After all, you didn't prepare for it anyway. (laughs) For extreme planners, though, being prepared can save you lots of trouble. However, you're much less likely to be flexible, and changes to the plan cause you lots of stress and anxiety. Well, truth be told, from a spiritual perspective... We as believers kind of need to be the best versions of each of those. In other words, we need to be flexible enough to allow God to change our plans at a moment's notice, yet prepared enough to expect God to make changes. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. You know, there are many people who live and die by their day planner whether it's a physical day planner or like Google Calendar or something like that, their lives are literally run by what they have written for the day or week ahead. But as believers, we need to make sure that whatever we have written for the day, the week, the month, or even the year ahead is written in pencil and not in ink. Why? Because as the old saying goes, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Church, as we actively make plans for our lives, we also need to be mindful of God's plans for our lives and adjust accordingly. 
We need to welcome those divine interruptions. And so this morning, as we continue our study in the book of James, we're going to learn more about the biblical model for making plans. And it's through our study we're going to be reminded of this important truth. Those who are prudent include God in their planning. All right? So let's, uh, let's pray one more time, and then we'll hop into our study today. Lord, I want to thank you for the opportunity to open up your word and the privilege and the blessing that it is. It's a vast responsibility to handle your word. And so, God, I pray that this morning as, as I open your word that, that you would speak through me to all those here this morning, that your word would pierce our hearts, would touch us, Lord, would help us to leave here closer to your son, Jesus, than when we arrived. Lord, I just pray that, that I would get out of the way and allow your word and your Holy Spirit to do the work. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm sure I mentioned this before, but I'll just mention it again. Uh, there's that phrase, beat around the bush. And it's associated with hunting, and it's said to originate from medieval times. You see, hunters hired men to beat the area around bushes with sticks to flush out game uh, and it, that are taking cover underneath the bushes. And they did this uh, indirectly. They didn't directly hit the bush because they wanted to avoid trouble. In other words, sometimes they would hit like a bee's nest or something in the bush and they'd all get stung. Of course, through time, the phrase became associated with communication. People who beat around the bush in their conversations, they avoid talking about difficult subjects directly because they don't want to sting that person. They don't want to sting their listeners. Well, as we've learned over the last few months, James has no problem causing a sting to his listeners. He doesn't beat around the bush telling the Jerusalem church exactly what they needed to hear, and for good reason. Proverbs 28, 23 says this, In the end, people appreciate honest criticism far more than flattery. In the end. Notice it says in the end. Not in the moment, per se, but in the end, people appreciate honest criticism more than flattery. And although it may sting at first, an honest, loving rebuke can bring about positive changes. On the other hand, flattery only deceives. And so it's abundantly clear that James isn't interested in flattery. He's interested in faithfulness of God's people. And as we're soon going to see, today's passage is no exception. So follow along with me. We're going to read the whole passage. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. James wrote, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. For those of you who had any exposure to ESPN, you've probably come across a segment called, Come on, man. Come on, man. See, during this segment, the main cast criticizes all the boneheaded plays that happened in the sports world the day before. Always ending with a tagline, come on, man. You want to say it with me, ready? One, two, three. Come on, man. See? Well, in today's text, we find James' own version of come on, man, in regard to the church. In this context, he criticizes and corrects some of the boneheaded behavior of people within the church in regard to making future plans. In fact, found within today's passage are three perspectives in reference to planning. Let's begin by looking at the first. 
the wrong way to plan. Look at verse 13. It says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. You know, there's an old saying, the best laid plans of mice and men often go awry, meaning the most careful planning doesn't necessarily ensure success. Friends, this is especially true for those whose planning doesn't include the Lord, which was precisely the problem with some members of the Jerusalem church. You see, evidently there were some Christian merchants within the church who were mapping out their plans and for their future, giving no regard to God. The plans included a timetable, a location, a schedule, action steps, and a conclusion. Now, just to be clear, James is not condemning making plans. In fact, there's wisdom in planning ahead. James was condemning this arrogant attitude of thinking that they were the self-made masters of their own fate. You see, God hates arrogance and pride because it's the root of all types of sin. And moreover, for those who possess it, it's only a matter of time before they stumble and fall on their faces. Proverbs 16, 18, we know this verse very well. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Church, this is a good reminder because the problem of pride in the Jerusalem church then is no different than the problem of pride in the American church now. In fact, one of the commentators uh, I came across wisely noted, he said this, so pervasive is our culture's arrogant independence of God that even many, perhaps most Christians, attend church, marry, choose their vocations, have children, buy and sell homes, expand their portfolios, and numbly ride the currents of culture without substantial reference to the will of God. There are more Christians who never seriously pray about God's will regarding their vocation, family direction, or entertainments than actually seek God's will. He said they take Augustine's love God and do as you please, and they change it to do as you please and say that you love God. Harsh words. True? True? Yeah. I mean, you're a little, I know you're thrown off guard by those words, but let's be honest. Real talk? Kind of true, right? Kind of true. James repudiates this type of thinking by reminding the church of a sobering yet undeniable reality. Ready for this? We don't control the clock nor the calendar. We don't control it. We like to think we do, but we don't. Look at verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that, that appears for a little time and then vanishes. You know, in our home, we have one of those little spray water bottles for watering plants. And every once in a while, my kids will grab that bottle and they'll squirt it around the house or squirt each other in the face or whatever, and then cranky old dad will tell them to knock it off. She knows. But when you get right down to it, Seconds after mitts comes out of that bottle, you know what happens? It's gone. It disappears. And the impact of the mist lasts for a brief moment of time, and then it evaporates and it's gone. Church, this is a vivid picture of our life. Vivid picture of our life. Psalm 39.5 says, You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you at best. At best, each of us is but a breath. 
Now, there are lots of people who waste lots of time planning their lives around a purpose that has no lasting value. Friends, we are here for a moment, and we tend to forget this because we're so busy in our American lives and culture, and it's not just limited to America, but man, I think America's on the top of the list, and we are just so busy and distracted with making plans that we forget that our life is like that. And it's for this reason that those who are wise, they keep a loose grip on their earthly plans, and they give great consideration to God's heavenly plans. In fact, Jesus gave a warning about this very thing. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 12. If, if you have a pew Bible, it's page 871. If you have your own Bible, it's page whatever it is in your own Bible. Okay? But turn, turn there with me to, to page 871 if you've got a pew Bible. Luke chapter 12. I want you to see this. All right, so Luke 12, starting in verse 16. It says, And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Guy had a plan, didn't he? But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And these things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You see, the biggest problem for the rich man wasn't that he was rich. It was that he made plans for this life without any regard to the next life. He made plans to benefit himself without any regard to other people. He made plans for his future without any regard to God the Father. And notice how many times you just said, I do or I will. Of course, the folly of this type of planning is clear. Those who make plans without being mindful of God's plans will eventually die and have nothing to show for it. And this is why Moses wrote in Psalm 90, 12, he said, Oh, Lord, so teach us to number our days. Why? That we may gain a heart of wisdom. Church, those who have a heart of wisdom not only take seriously the brevity of life, but they take to heart the truthful words spoken by missionary C.T. Studd. He said this, Only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. And this leads us to the second principle. We can go back to, to the book of James now. James 4, 15. This is the wise way to plan. Okay, This is the second principle. We got the wrong way, now we got the wise way. Look at verse 15. James said, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. You know, every tax season, my wife and I claim our three children as dependents. And they're considered dependents because of our familial relationship, financial needs, provision of care, and residency. You see, in a very practical sense, children wholly depend on their parents for their livelihood. Well, in the same way as God's children... We wholly depend on him for our day-to-day -day livelihood, whether we realize it or not. James called the Jerusalem church to acknowledge this reality. Instead of making arrogant assumptions about their future, 
He called them to have an attitude of dependency on the Lord. Saying the phrase, if the Lord wills, and a lot of us say that when we talk to one another as believers, and that's not a bad practice, but it's not meant to be another Christian cliche. It's meant to be a Christian lifestyle. It's a lifestyle that makes plans, which is fine, but at the same time is mindful and submissive and wholly dependent on God and his plans. The Puritans used to call this lifestyle Deo Valenti, which is Latin for God willing if nothing prevents it. And it's a lifestyle that we see patterned all throughout the New Testament. In Acts chapter 18, verse 21, the Apostle Paul said, I will return to you if God wills. Again, in 1 Corinthians 4.19, he said, I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. The author of Hebrews wrote in Hebrews 6.3, and this we will do if God permits. You see, church, I can go on, but I, I, I think you get the point. Those who are wise plan their lives according to the Deo Valenti principle. They invite God into the planning process through prayer and through spending time in his word. Now, I know that I've shared this quote with you before, but it's worth sharing again. In his book, Transforming Prayer, great book. I don't get any royalties for promoting it, but I'm telling you, just buy the book. Even now, I even give you permission to go on Amazon right now as I'm talking and get the book and read it. It's, it's, a, it's an amazing book uh, on, on prayer. But anyway, Daniel Henderson said this. He said, prayerlessness is our declaration of independence from God. Prayerlessness is our declaration of independence from God. Friends, when we plan without prayer, we're choosing to do life in our own strength and power. It's as simple as that. On the other hand, when we plan with prayer and we seek the Lord through his word, well, then we're choosing to do life dependent on God's strength and power. And that's when those best laid plans begin to start falling into place. Because our plans become aligned with God's plans. It's for this reason that David wrote in Psalm 37, 4, he said, delight yourself in the Lord, and then he's going to give you the desires of your heart. Because when you're delighting yourself in God and who he is, and you're seeking his face through prayer and ministry of the word, you're going to know what God wants from you, and your desires are going to align with his desires, and it's all just going to come together, like a good Tetris game. Come together. James called out the foolish members of the Jerusalem church who arrogantly made these plans without seeking God and his approval. Again, nothing wrong with making plans, but seeking God and his approval. Church, we would do well to learn from their mistakes and remember the wise words of Proverbs 16.9, which says, The heart of a man plans his way, but remember, it's the Lord who establishes his steps. And this brings us to the third principle, the warning to the planner. Look at verse 16. James says, As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. G.K. Chesterton said, If I only had one sermon to preach, it would be a sermon against pride. Why? Because pride gets, gets us in all sorts of trouble. It gets us in all sorts of trouble. This past week, I came across a true story told by a pastor out of Indiana, and I'm just going to let his words speak for themselves. You ready? All right. He wrote this. He said, I started visiting a man in a nursing home who had been instrumental in starting a major industry in town. When he died, I was asked to do the funeral service, and I was nervous because I knew our church would be packed with dignitaries. 
The service went well, and on our way to the cemetery, I began turning in my Bible to the passage I was going to read at the graveside. While I was turning to 1 Corinthians 15 to speak on the resurrection of bodies, the funeral director asked me a question, and I could tell he was impressed with my gospel message I had brought. He asked several questions, and I answered each one, and I was proud of myself for the job that I had done. Here was a man who had listened to hundreds of funeral services, and he singled out mine as being one of the best. With this on my heart, I stood at the head of the casket with family and friends in front of me, and I asked them to listen to the powerful words of Scripture. Then, with a sense of pride and dignity, I read 1 Corinthians 5.1. It is reported commonly that there are fornicators among you. <laughs> Awkward moment when... Proverbs 11.2 says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. James rebuked the disgraceful attitude of pride within the Jerusalem church. The phrase, you boast in your arrogance, is probably better translated as you rejoice in your boastings. It conveys this idea of people loudly and proudly boasting in their accomplishments to gain admiration from other people while ignoring the sovereignty of God. It's the type of attitude that takes credit for something that God did. And so James does not mince words when he calls this type of attitude evil, just straight-up evil. On the other hand, Proverbs 8.13 says, The fear of the Lord, that's the hatred of evil, and pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. You see, clearly there were those within the Jerusalem church who didn't fear or revere the Lord. And their attitudes and actions spoke for themselves. So, Friends, there's an important lesson that we could learn here that, that we don't want to miss. Are you ready for it? A big-headed Christian is a bone-headed Christian. Say that with me. A big-headed Christian is a bone-headed Christian. One more time, like you believe it. A big-headed Christian is a boneheaded Christian. It's so true. You know, it would be one thing if James were addressing those who didn't know Jesus. But remember, he was addressing the behavior of believers. And as believers, we need to keep our attitudes in check and our arrogance at bay, otherwise we're committing acts of evil. The Apostle Paul gives us a much better way to behave in 1 Corinthians 1. He says, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in who? The Lord. To boast, boast in the Lord, not yourself. Church, this is the type of attitude that is becoming of a Christian. It makes much of Jesus and little of oneself. It acknowledges that every good and perfect gift comes from above, and it gives credit where credit's due. James closes out his thoughts with one more admonition in verse 17. He says, So whoever knows the right thing to do but fails to do it, for him it is sin. You know, in Scripture, there are really two types of sins. There's sins of commission and there's sins of omission. Sins of commission are sins that we willingly commit, whether in thought, word, or deed. And sins of omission are knowing what, what we ought to do, but choosing not to. So here James addresses the latter. And in this specific context, the right thing that James is referring to is having total dependence on God. In essence, James is calling the Jerusalem church to practice what they already knew to be right and true. Come on, guys, you know this. 
You know this. Come on, man. Seriously, you guys know this. You know this. You know this is right. So if you're not doing this, you are sinning. In a posture of humility, they were to acknowledge the brevity of their lives. And they were to acknowledge God's sovereignty over their lives. And church, when you get right down to it, that should be the posture of every believer, especially when it comes to making plans. Because there are far too many Christians who sing the old hymn, I surrender all. But in all reality, only surrender some. They're willing to give God total control over the eternal life, but they want to maintain total control over their earthly life. Friends, our faith doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work that way. Proverbs 16.3 says, Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. So when you commit your day-to-day life into the hands of God, it means that you are in full submission to his will. And when you're in full submission to God's will, you can be sure that your plans are going to come to pass. Therefore, let me encourage you, even right now, to seek the Lord's face as you plan for your future. Entrust everything to his sovereign care. And I know I'm speaking to a lot of you this morning because I'm speaking to myself. We all make plans. Even the procrastinators in this room got plans for their lives. They're trying to figure things out. Some of you guys came in this morning, you've just been confused over, over what to do or how to do it or what that even looks like or what tomorrow is going to bring or how, what are you going to do about school, what are you going to do about work, what are you going to do about family, marriage, whatever. And I just want to encourage you to, to not follow the long line of believers who choose to live independent from God. but to heed the words of James and live in dependency on God and just trust him. Just trust him with your life and that he's going to take care of the rest. Some of the very first Bible verses I ever memorized were Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I want to read 5 through 7 to you. But remember these verses. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And, and by the way, this is, these aren't suggestions to like, Life principles to live by. This is life. Like, this is God saying to you, trust in me with all of your hearts and lean not on your own understanding. Because our our minds play tricks on us, don't they? In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. And then verse 7 says, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And this brings us back to today's truth to remember. Those who are prudent include God in their planning. Now, in just a few minutes, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And given today's topic, I'm sure there's areas in your life and mine that we need to reflect on, repent of, and release over to the Lord before taking communion. That's the proper posture to receive communion. We need to get right with God in these areas. However, before we have this time of reflection and repentance. I want to take a moment to address those of you who have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ. You know, as I alluded to earlier, there are many people who spend an awful lot of time making plans for their earthly life without any regard to their eternal life. And this is sad. You know why? Because none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. Remember, your life is a vapor 
it's, it's a vapor. And sooner or later, and for some of you, it might be sooner rather than later, you are going to die. And I, don't, I know we don't want to talk about death and all this. But listen, it's part, it's, you're going to die. <laughs> you know, like you can't, you can't escape it. Like you're going to die. I'm going to die. Reminds me of that scene from What About Bob? Anybody see What About Bob? You are going to die. I am going to die. Anyway, but it's true. We make light of it, but, but, it, but it is true. We're going to die. Hebrews 9.27 says, As just as it is appointed for man to die once, and then after that comes judgment. One day you're going to die, and you're going to stand before the Lord, and this is the truth. And you need to give an account of what you did with Jesus Christ. You see, the Bible teaches that God made us to be with him and to have this wonderful relationship with him, but our sin cut ourselves off from him. Yet God, in his great love for us, became a man in Jesus, and he lived a perfect life, and he died on the cross, taking the punishment of your sin and my sin upon himself. And three days later, he rose again from the grave, and in doing so, he provided a way for you and I to receive forgiveness for our sins, be saved and receive the gift of eternal life. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you have the assurance of everlasting life? Let's not play games. It's so important. John 3.36 is clear. It says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. You don't have to doubt your eternal salvation. You have it if you believe. But if you don't, it says, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Friend, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, and as it stands right now, you're going to die, and you're going to spend eternity in hell. Simple as that. Sad. And let's not glaze over this terrifying reality. Eternity is forever. Think about that. Our life is a vapor. Eternity is forever. But listen, I opened up today's service with, with verses about joy. It says, in your presence there's fullness of joy. You say, Mike, you're kind of depressing me right now. Well, here comes the good news. Here's the joy. The good news is that your eternal destiny can change forever on this very morning. To become a child of God and to have the assurance of eternal life, all you must do is admit that you're a sinner, repent of your sin, asking God to forgive you, and he will, and trust in the person and work of Jesus alone for your salvation. You're putting all your faith in the cross. Not in your good works, not in trying to be a clean person, a good person, whatever, because you're going to fail in that area, but God will cover it with his blood if you believe in him. Eternal life is a free gift given by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And all you need to do is receive it. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Friends, your life is fleeting. Your days are numbered. And as things get crazier and crazier out there, it's important that you get right with God right here in your heart. You may never have the opportunity to receive Jesus ever again. This could be it for you. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, Behold, now is a favorable time. Today is a day of salvation. 
Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And if you'd like more information on what it means to receive Christ, you could, you could mark it on your Connect slip, though I wouldn't leave here without having that assurance. You could still mark it on your slip. You can come speak with me after the service. You can come forward after church and grab an information packet here in front of the pulpit. We have a Gospel of John. We have some, another, it's attached to a book called Ultimate Questions. It helps answer some of the questions about God and life and salvation. But all you really need to do is just receive him this morning. Just in your own way, acknowledge before God through an act of prayer, even in your seat, Lord, I, I admit that I'm a sinner. I ask for forgiveness. I repent of my sin, and I trust in Jesus for my salvation. Just give your life over to him, and if you do, you will have the assurance of eternal life. And this brings us to the Lord's Supper. You know, the Lord's Supper is, is a special ordinance because it's meant for believers. This is something that we do as believers. This is exclusive to believers. And it says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. For those of you who may, who may have missed this, these are out in the foyer. If you need to, to go grab one, you, you can do that. Or you could just raise your hand. Maybe some of our ushers can just bring one to you if you'd rather that. Just have your hand up and we'll get, get one to you. The Apostle Paul wrote, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Then it goes on, he says, Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And so to, to examine yourself is to consider your life today, consider your walk with God. Ask the Lord to reveal maybe any areas of sin, areas where you've fallen short. And we're all going to have those areas because sinning is what we do best. <laughs> And, so, and it comes natural to us. And we're going to have those areas that we need to give over to the Lord this morning. But he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, so come before God and just, just ask him to reveal those things. I'm going to give you guys just a, a moment of just quietness in the room for you to have that time with the Lord. And then we'll receive together. Heavenly Father, this morning we acknowledge that our lives are but a vapor. We're amidst that appears for a moment and then vanishes. And it's what we do with this brief moment of time that carries into our eternity forever. Beginning with what we do with Jesus. And then how we live our lives after we have Jesus. And so Lord, this morning we just acknowledge that we have fallen short of your glory on more times than we care to admit. 
But we are so thankful for the forgiveness of sins that you've given us through your son, Jesus, and that free gift of eternal life. So in receiving this morning, we acknowledge your death, we acknowledge your resurrection, we acknowledge that you are coming again, and we are thankful for it. And all God's people said, amen. Let us receive this cracker together. Let's also receive the juice together. This time I'd like to invite the praise team to come forward. And as they do, we're just going to close with a song of, of affirmation. You know, when, when, you, when you get right down to, to this passage in James, it's an acknowledgement for every single one of us or I should say it's a call for every single one of us to acknowledge God's sovereignty over our lives. And this next song is all about that. And so I want to encourage you as we close to sing this song as a prayer to God, acknowledging that he is sovereign over all of your plans and that he is good to us. So let us pray and then we'll sing. God, I want to thank you again this morning for your word. And for the book of James, which is so practical, Lord, but it is hard-hitting at times, and it does sting at times, but we're thankful, Lord. We're thankful. We need that. And so, God, I just pray that this morning we would come before you, acknowledge your sovereignty over our lives, have an attitude and posture of dependency as your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.